Hello, this is Brian Auten of Apologetics 315, and we are reading The Gospel in the Marketplace of Ideas, Paul's Mars Hill Experience for Our Pluralistic World by Paul Copan and Kenneth D. Litwock. This is Chapter 3, and I'm joined by co-author Paul Copan. Chapter 3 is entitled Paul's Athens. Paul, what's in store for our readers in this chapter, Paul's Athens? What kind of worldviews abounded there? Well, of course, we see in this chapter, uh, as you've hinted, uh, the more intellectual and cultural and historical status of the ancient city of Athens. Uh, It was a prominent city. And so what we see Paul doing is, well, first, of course, his strategy is to go to the synagogue. That was his custom. He would go to the synagogue and, and uh, in keeping with what he says in Romans chapter one, he'd go to the Jew first and, and then also to the Greek. Uh, and so he would, even though Paul wasn't originally planning on visiting Athens, he goes to the synagogue, but he also goes beyond there to the marketplace, to the Agora, which would lead to uh, an invitation to speak at the Areopagus. And, and, and a number of scholars see this Areopagus uh, invitation as a kind of like a formal trial, if you will, to judging whether uh, Jesus, and they are th- some people are thinking that G- it's Jesus and, um, you know, Anastasis or resurrection that maybe this is a consort to uh, Jesus, but that he's proclaiming these foreign deities. And so, uh, you know, but of course it's just Jesus and bodily resurrection, which of course is, uh, would be rejected by uh, the Greeks. But Paul is one who is proclaiming this, uh, you know, this quote, foreign deity, and he is going into Athens uh, and and making this known. And so people say, we want to hear you further on this. So Paul kind of has to make his case, why should Jesus be worshipped in Athens? Uh, and, and if you and if you win the Areopagus or the council over, then often what happened was they have a, a feast for you, they have a shrine for you, maybe a temple, uh, an altar, and so forth. And so as Paul unpacks his speech, he is basically saying, uh, well, I, you don't need an altar because I actually found an altar to the unknown God. Uh, there's no temple that's needed for this deity that you worship in ignorance because this God is the creator of heaven and earth. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. And he doesn't need some sort of a feast for him because he's not, you know, he, he's not in need of anything from us. Uh, and, and he goes on from there that he's the maker of heaven and earth. And so he doesn't need a statue devoted to him because uh, you know, he can't be captured by wood and, and gold and silver and, or by the, the, the art of humankind. Uh, and so he's just going on and basically uh, meeting all of these sorts of expectations that would, would come about uh, in this uh, Areopagus uh, um, trial, so to speak. Uh, and so Paul is really tailor-making his message to address those sorts of concerns, which is again a, a stroke of genius, but but we also find out well what are the, the who are the Stoics and Epicureans? We talk about that in the chapter, and what about Platonism, the view that highlights the good realm of the soul as opposed to the inferior physical world that includes the body, and of course this backdrop uh, makes helps us to make sense of the Athenian scoffing when they hear about bodily resurrection because that was something that was totally you know out of their realm of conception. And we also, again, discuss in this chapter uh, that this is a university city of Athens, a place uh, of great learning, but also a place of idolatry and, uh, and, and clear false worship. So those are some of the things that we talk about in that chapter. Thanks, Paul. And thank you for listening. I hope you will read along with Apologetics 315.